How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, back at it again, and uh, so thankful to be able to get back to studying the Word of God with you folks. Always enjoy this, and always miss it when I'm not able to. So, here we are. We're going to continue on our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and... We are down to chapter 27. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, picking up where we left off. And uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it is not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 27 this morning, verse 1. So grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, come join us at the table. And most importantly, grab your Bible, have your Bible with you so you can follow along so you can see these things for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. You need to look at it. You need to see it to be able to go through it yourself as well. This is very important. And also have a notepad or something, your tablet, your phone, whatever you can take notes with and write things down as you see, as you see that jumps out to you as we go along. Uh, questions or insights, certain verses, certain words, things you want to look at, things you want to remember, things you want to bring up, write it down. And uh, this will really help you in your study as well. All right. Okay, so we're going to be looking here at the trial and the torture and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ here in Matthew chapter 27. And we don't know how far we'll get. We'll see, see how it goes, but we see in chapter 27, it covers uh, these things, these three things. And with this, if you're putting notes in your along the margin in your Bible, if you're writing down references, these kinds of things, you really want to follow along with Isaiah chapter 53 in uh, Matthew chapter 27, as well as Psalm 22. You want to write down these references. There are others, but these are the two primary main ones so you just write it down in the margin that uh, by matthew 27 that uh, these are uh, correlating passages you want to pair with this in your reading we're going to be doing that today we'll see how far we get but we're going to be uh, bouncing back and forth a bit in this if you see anything uh, of note that you would like to point out please do i'd love to hear from you just as just make sure that it's in line with today's study we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing which we always fail miserably at but uh, want to try to limit uh, rabbit trailing as much as possible okay here we are so matthew chapter 27 now if we back up just a little bit into 26 we see what's going on what's happened we see the arrest in the garden you see how he was despised and rejected. And we see how uh, the Bible talks about in the prophecies um, about uh, the betrayal. Uh, that was uh, my friend that, that uh, 
that betrayed me. We see there's a prophecy even up here that it would be one of the friends of Christ. Don't ask me the reference. I can't remember it. But I remember the words, I, I struggle to remember references, but there is a prophecy talking about, uh, but that, that was my friend, uh, it was in, in the Psalms, I believe it is. Um, and we see this, and now the, uh, the uh, denial by Peter. <clears throat> now, the one thing I want to point out as well, because we're going to be looking at this, is in uh, chapter 26, verse 75. Chapter 26, verse 75 but Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, this is important to look at. Because we're going to be taking a look at the repentance of Peter and the repentance of Judas. And how they're different and uh, what the Bible has to say on this. Alright. So keep that in mind about repentance itself. What is repentance according to the word of God? And it's quite interesting when you take a look at some of the words here in the meanings of them. I'm just trying to get organized here. So, all right, let's get going. Matthew 27. Time to study the word of God. It's a habit of mine. I always do something like that. It's just like a cheers to the lord diving into the word of god always excited about this okay matthew 27 look at verse 1 when the morning was come all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against jesus to put him to death okay now if we actually do a study on the on the way that the proceedings as it's supposed to go in the legal system and how in the arrests and dealings and trials and all these things, uh, as I mentioned, uh, how these these individuals, the chief priests and all this, the Sanhedrin and all the Pharisees, all these, how they are raging, lying, hypocritical, monstrous devils. That, that as Jesus said, your children of your father, the devil. Is that they they touted the the law, but they did not keep the law. Jesus even said, you do not keep the law. You have no idea what the law is. You don't keep the law. You're children, your father, the devil. You're liars and hypocrites. But uh, when we take a look at this, we see the arrest of Jesus, that they did so illegally. That they arrested him illegally. And they brought him to court the night before, and that was illegal as well. Everything that they've been doing has actually been against the very law of Moses that they've been upholding, saying that they're defenders of. Proof that Jesus says, you don't even keep the law. You don't even know what you're talking about. So, goodness, I've noticed that the camera, I forgot to alter the camera. One second, give me one second. This is going to drive me nuts if I don't fix this. It keeps doing its pulsing thing. I need to stop that. And there we go. That's better. Much better. For some reason, it doesn't save it in the settings. I have to fix this every time I open the program. Oh, well, let's keep going. So they did so illegally. And as Jesus says, you don't know the law. You don't understand the law. You don't know the law. And on, we see this in verse 1, that the whole point was just pure, pure, unadulterated hate. That's all it is. They just hate 
Jesus so much, they'll go to any lengths. They'll go to any lengths and they do not care what, what it is that they have to do. As we see in, in the, the trial at uh, Caiaphas's palace, they even brought up liars. They deliberately set up uh, lying witnesses to make up all kinds of lying charges and everything, try to get him in trouble. They've made up lies. They've slandered him. They've cursed him. They've hated him. They've tried to kill him before. And now that they're just, they're throwing everything into this basket. They don't care anymore. And they went and arrested him falsely. They started charging him falsely. They started abusing him, punching and slapping and spitting and mocking him, which is straight up just, again, illegal and assault and everything. They don't even care. They just hate him so much. Which goes to show one thing. When we take a look at the the very actions, the words, and the things that's going on, a lot of people wonder about this, about the demonic reality. About how to identify, how to know if someone is being demonically oppressed or demonically possessed. You see... The problem that we run into is what Hollywood has done. Hollywood has done such a, a magnificent job at misrepresenting everything that is of the spiritual realm. Uh, they haven't a clue. and But this is done on purpose. Anyways, they have corrupted the very idea of what is demonic oppression and possession by their manifest manifestation of uh, hauntings and ghosts and monsters and exorcisms and all that kind of stuff and demon possession in their movies and it's this all complete absolute utter nonsense so when you talk about devils and demonic possession immediately the imagery of like the hollywood movies comes up and it corrupts the very understanding and and it's gone to such a length such a degree that when you talk about these things, people are like, no, you don't know what you're talking about because we don't see them flailing around the ground and climbing up walls and climbing around ceilings and heads spinning around and all the other crazy nonsense, stupid things. But, uh, but rather we see in the word of God, it's very, very clear. Very clear. Yes, there can be states where like that one uh, boy, uh, uh, the son, son of his father who was uh, possessed to the devil the spirit threw him down and he was thrashing on the ground that can happen they do do that but rather we see as the primary main thing that we see by demonic oppression and possession is an absolute rage against god please understand this when you see an absolute rage against anything of God, hatred of the things of righteousness, hatred of the name of Jesus Christ, hatred of the blood of Jesus Christ, hatred of biblical doctrine. And you see it welling up in the person in such, in such attack and fight against. They resist and, and they mock and scoff and ridicule and spit on and hate upon the things uh, of God uh, by the word of God. That's demonic. You want to know where the demons are? Right there. And this is absolutely true. This is how they work. This is what they do. 
they fight against the Lord. So whenever doctrines of God are brought up, truth of God, truth of Christ, truth of salvation, of the gospel, the cross, the blood, the burial, the resurrection, and you see people fighting against these things, mocking it, scoffing it, denying it, hating it, spitting on it, or whatever else, raging against it, that's demonic oppression or possession. In most cases, when they are reacting in that way, that is possession. The spirits are in that person, in their mind, in their heart, and turning them to, to fight against the Lord. That's demonic. So when you see, especially in this case, how the priests in uh, chapter 26, as we see here, in chapter 26, starting at verse 66, after Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the Christ, claimed to be God, they, they we see the, the high priest here saying, now we have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered, he is guilty of death. Verse 67, they did spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands. They spit in his face, punched him and slapped him. That's literally demonic possession. And we see later on, uh, for example, at the first martyr, Stephen, and the martyr Stephen, uh, that when he finished his speech and he called them out for what they had done, you take up the tabernacle of your God, Moloch, the star of your God, Remphan, and he called them out and rebuked them, it says they rushed upon him and gnashed on him with their teeth. Okay. Think about that just for a moment. Disciple Stephen, an evangelist, street preacher, preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is giving his witness before the Sanhedrin, and they get so mad, so mad, that at uh, what he's saying, that they rush upon him, beat him up, and gnash on him with their teeth. That's demonic possession. Then they rush him outside and stone him to death. So you want, if you want to know where the demons are, the demons are, are, are manifesting themselves in their assault against Christ. Their assault against Christ. That's where the devils are. So keep that in mind. And this is what we're seeing. And we're going to see more of this as we go through chapter 27. Now we see in chapter 27, verse 1, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Now look at the words. And also why it's very important to read slowly, to pay attention to these things carefully. Now look at this. So the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel. Now what does this mean? As they... they Came to all came together to discuss all the ins and outs and all the loopholes and all the possibilities, all the angles. They they wanted to figure out a way around the law. They wanted to figure out a way around all the proceedings, around everything, because you have Jewish law, and plus also since they are being um, uh, ruled over by the Romans, then not only do they have to find a way around the Jewish law, they have to find a way around the Roman law. Because by 
the uh, uh, the captivity by the Romans as they're taken over and ruling everything, uh, the actual law of the land by the Roman Empire was that no conquered nation is allowed to uh, utter the death sentence. You have to bring it before the Romans and the Romans, uh, the Roman occupation, the gov Roman governors and all these will then tell you if you're allowed to put someone to death. You, It doesn't matter what they've done. You cannot kill them by your law. You have to bring them before the Roman law. So if the Roman occupation was not in effect, what they would have done because of what Jesus said here in Matthew 26, claiming to be God, and they all charged him with blasphemy because, well, they hated him, that by Jewish law, Jesus would have been stoned to death. You see that so people ask the question well why didn't jesus come to israel sooner because his death wasn't by stoning his death wouldn't it wasn't going to be by stoning as we see in psalm 22 by the prophecies of the prophet king david that he was going to be crucified they pierced my hands and my feet this is denoting the the method of death that was going to come upon the christ messiah he was going to be crucified. Jews never did crucifixion. They never killed someone in that way. This is strictly, specifically a Roman thing. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior, we see King David long before the Roman occupation. King, King David prophesying that the Christ Messiah would be crucified. But crucifixion wasn't even known by the Jews. So that also goes to show divine control and divine inspiration, the Spirit of God speaking through the mouth of his prophets, uh, telling them how it was all going to go down. So we see the timing of God is that he uh, brought the, the promise of the Christ Messiah at this specific time in history so that it would be fulfilled as was said by the prophets so jesus would be crucified and not stoned so here's the thing as you see in chapter 27 verse 1 they took counsel because well by jewish law blasphemy is punished by death and so therefore they have got a charge against jesus of blasphemy because jesus claimed to be god they all charge him with blasphemy so therefore he must be put to death so now they're taking counsel as it says that they took counsel 27 verse 1 they took counsel against jesus to put him to death so they had to figure out a way so that they could kill him because they wanted him dead verse 2 and when they had bound him <clears throat> So they went and bound Jesus up as a common criminal. That's how much they hated him, even though Jesus wasn't going to resist. He wasn't going to fight them. He wasn't going to try to argue for his innocence. This isn't an accident. This wasn't done against the plan of God. This is the plan of God. This is why he came. Jesus would have walked willingly and laid himself down willingly on the very cross. He would have stretched out his arms and his hands willingly and ask for the nails. 
That's our Lord. They didn't need to bind him, but it was the cruelty of man, man's inhumanity to man. Is this is the cruelty of sin? This is the demonic manipulation against him to mock Christ, to treat him as a common criminal, to spit in his face, punch him and slap him and curse him and mock him. This is nothing but demonic manipulation. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. All right, hold your finger here, put in a bookmark. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> he laid down his life. That's right. Amen. So go back to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to walk through this as we walk through Matthew 27. Now in Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The strength of God. Where he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, so remember, I talked about this in the uh, last episode of chapter 26 about uh, the, the Judas kiss. Why did Judas have to point out with a kiss and all this? And we see uh, the Bible talks about what Jesus actually looked like. He did not have long hair. He was not a white boy. He was not a black boy. He was not any other thing. He was the olive skin complexioned Jew of Israel born in Bethlehem. He did not have long hair. And uh, so we see there are specific things about him. He was a Nazarene. He was not a Nazarite. And so the Bible actually does give us some uh, description of what Jesus would have looked like. So he had no form nor comeliness. There's no beauty about him. He looked like your average, generic, bland-looking John Smith. That's what Jesus actually looked like. Yes, he blended in, exactly. This is how we see a number of times when they went about to try to kill him, Jesus just hid himself. He just walked away. And he just blended into the crowd. And they're like, where do you go? Because he's just so... It's, it's, there's actually a term for this. It's called a, a gray man. A gray man is one who is wearing such bland, generic clothing. Bland, generic presence that it, you kind of have to take a second, third, fourth look to try to identify because there's nothing about that individual that stands out. They just blend right into the crowd, right into the background, and they're easily forgettable, easily missed, and it's hard to notice them. They're called a gray man. <clears throat> so very similar, this is how, what, kind of what Jesus looked like. Anyways, we see verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. As we see this by the treatment by Judas and all, all, of the, all of Israel, as we'll see, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as, as it were, our faces from him. They all, they all scattered and abandoned him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The reason he came was for our sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. 
Yet he opened not his mouth. And we're going to take a look at that in Matthew 27. And he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now, this is verse 8. I want to look at verse 8. Now, we see Jesus was arrested in the garden, right? He was arrested in the garden by the chief priests and all them by the betrayal of Judas. They took him, chained him up, took him to Caiaphas's uh, palace, and uh, where he was kept in Caiaphas's palace. Uh, uh, prison and then he was brought up before the illegal council and they uh, illegally charged him mistreated him and they then they beat him up and all of this and then they took him from Caiaphas and they took him to Pontius Pilate Pilate's judgment hall verse 8 Isaiah 53 verse 8 he was taken from prison and from judgment see that Caiaphas's prison, Pilate's judgment hall. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Okay, so put a bookmark there. We will be coming back. All right, and so we see in Matthew 27, verse 2, And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. All right, verse 3, then the camera shifts back to Judas. Then Judas Iscariot, which had betrayed him, when he saw, what, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. And brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Okay, now we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this one point at a time. So Judas Iscariot, it says he repented himself. Did Judas get saved? Was Judas saved? Well, we see, okay, now we're going to take a look at repentance and we're going to take a look at Peter's repentance versus Judas's repentance and see what the Bible says on this. Because look at what Judas does. It says he repented himself, saying, verse 4, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. What do we care? That's your problem. That's literally what the what the priests, the chief priests, are saying. Chief priests respond to him when Judas says, "I betrayed the innocent blood," and they said, "What do we care? That's your problem." It goes to show the deliberate, deliberate, willful murder of Jesus Christ that they are committing murder, as uh, as. Paul and Peter even flat out accused the, the Jews of and, and telling them this is what they've done. They have deliberately committed murder. Just like as Jesus even said, as your fathers did to the prophets, you're no better. As your fathers murdered the prophets, you're murdering the Son of God. You are no better, no different. But anyways, they say, what, what is that to us? See thou to it. That's your problem. What do we care? That's your problem. And he cast down Judas then, verse 5, he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Okay. 
But it says, Judas says, I have sinned in that I've betrayed the innocent blood. It says he repented himself. And then he says, I've sinned. Okay. Is what is repentance according to the word of God? Let's take a look at this. Now, I've, I've written down just a simple explanation of repentance and something to understand. Now, if we take a look at the word of God, repentance according to the word of God is metanoio, which means a change of mind, a change of heart. This is a, a, a change in yourself. Um, this is not actions, but of the mind and heart. But if we take a look at Matthew chapter 27, and verse 3, it's not the same word in the Greek. Now, we see in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. And we see when the word repent in context of anything salvationary. And it's metanoio, which means a change of mind, change of heart. You see your sin, you see your state, you see these things, and you, you repent. You change your heart, your mind. This is before the Lord. As the Bible says, repentance unto salvation. That which causes you to cry out to the Lord to seek salvation from the condemnation of your sin. Okay? That's biblical repentance of repentance of that which is connected with salvation. But in Matthew 27, verse 3, it says he repented himself. Now, this is different. This word in the Greek, if I can pronounce this, metem el lomahi, metalomahi, which means it is a care to one afterwards. It repents one to repent oneself afterwards, regret, i.e., regret, to regret. Um, Biblical repentance and just regretting are kind of not the same thing. Well, I regret that happened. Uh, it's not the same as, oh, Lord, forgive me. I repent of this. I was so wrong. Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. But they're completely different. So we see the repentance of Judas is just he regretted what happened. He was not sorry before God. Okay? He was not sorry before God. He did not go before the Lord and fall on his face before God and weep bitterly and seek God's forgiveness and salvation and cleansing of this. Exactly. He regretted that he got caught. He regretted of what happened. It's like, you know, like, oh, too bad. That's too bad. I uh, I feel bad now. I shouldn't have done that. Oh. Um, that's... <laughs> that's not repentance. That's not repentance. So, if you're into underlining, highlight, highlighting, marking in your Bible, in the margin, uh, by Matthew 27, verse 3, if you want to underline, repented himself, and then put and write in the margin to regret. It means in the Greek to regret. 
So, so, so a reminder. So the next time you come across this, or if you're if someone else brings it up, you want to show someone the difference that th this is what this is. It means to regret afterwards. It is not biblical repentance because there are some people who take this and say, you see, he repented afterwards. So he got saved. No, 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 he didn't. No, he didn't. There's many things that go into this, but I already covered it. Uh, the, the sin of Judas and how Judas was never saved. He never got saved. He was not saved. He rejected salvation. He rejected Jesus Christ. He deliberately fought against willingly, knowingly. He knew, knew what he was doing. He didn't want it. He was a thief and he like, got mad at Christ and he betrayed Christ. Jesus even called him the son of perdition. He was an unrepentant thief and liar, betrayer and murderer. Yes, murderer, because he was part and parcel of the murder of Jesus. So, yeah. Now, so we see in verse 4, Judas says, says, I have sinned in that I betrayed the innocent blood. Oh, it's so bad. It's too bad that I did this. Why did I do that? And it's regret afterwards. This is not repentance. And they, and they said, what do we care? That's your problem. Verse 5, and he took the bag of the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it down on the ground before them and he ran out and hanged himself. Is that the actions of a repentant man? No. But rather, we, he sees the state that he's got himself in. He's upset that now everybody sees him as the betrayer and, and now the social pressure and all these things. And plus also the demonic influence upon himself. The demonic influence upon himself because now we're going to shift gears here just a little bit uh once after i cover this now with peter now we see in matthew 26 verse 75 matthew 26 verse 75 peter he betrayed the lord three times quite vehemently and cursing and swearing and vulgarities and oaths Unto God that he did not know Jesus. And we see the rooster crowed and he realized what he'd done. He remembered the words of Jesus. Now look at this. Look at this. And he remembered the word of Jesus and the word of God came up in his mind. All right, there, there's a key. For, for, the, for the natural man receiveth not the things that are the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. But rather, we see, uh, we see uh, the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas had no conviction of the Word of God, no conviction of Jesus, no conviction of righteousness. But Peter did. Peter, verse 75, the Word of God came up in his mind. He remembered the Word of God. And what did that do? What was his immediate reaction to remembering the Word of God regarding his sin? He fell down on his face and he wept bitterly. That means to bawl one's eyes out. He was just sobbing. Sobbing and sobbing regarding his sin and what he had done. And he repented before God. And compare all the Gospels and you compare what happens afterwards, even seeing Jesus forgiving him. We see because Jesus and Peter, do you love me? Three times for each time he betrayed, there's three times Jesus asked him a question and the forgiveness of Christ and telling him now feed my sheep and the acceptance and the bringing him in and the cleansing of Peter. Peter's repentance 
as metanoio, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change, a, a change of ways in this before God, and his hatred of sin and love of righteousness. Judas had none of that. Judas had none of that. But rather, we see something different. Now, let's take a look here. Let's take a look here at what happened in verse 5. Matthew 27, verse 5, And he threw down the, the, the 30 pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went and hanged himself. All right. So now, remember when I talked about the prophecy of the 30 pieces of silver, what that stands for, going all the way back to Exodus. Was it Exodus? Never remember. All right, so we're going back, uh, Zechariah covers it in chapter 11, verse 12. I'm going back, I think it's Exodus. Uh, but anyways, uh, the prophecy uh, uh, of this in Zechariah, which is a reference back to the law. And if a bull uh, gores a man, uh, there's a price of 30 pieces of silver for that man, and the bull must be put to death. And we see here a fulfillment of this, of the 30 pieces of silver, putting a man to death, and this one is then guilty, and he went, winds up getting killed. He, and he, Judas went and hanged himself. So you see how it all ties together. But I want to look at this just for a quick moment. <clears throat> and Judas hanged himself. What is that? That's suicide. That's suicide. Now, is suicide sin? Yeah. What is suicide? Self-murder. Suicide is self-murder. That's 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 pretty bad. That's pretty severe. Now, I want to cover this just for a moment because there is such a massive delusion upon the Christian uh, world, upon many of the churches, upon many, many saints, this idea that suicide will send you directly to hell. It doesn't matter if you're saved, whatever. If you kill yourself, you go to hell. If you commit suicide, you can't go to heaven. All right. Well, first off, we just want to touch on suicide for a second in that it is sin, it's self-murder, it's rejection of the promises of God to help you and guide you and comfort you and all these things. But suicide is also demonic. Suicide is demonic. It is a demonic deception, delusion upon the mind. It's demonic manipulation, demonic lies. It's demonic control where they drive you into a state of such self-degradation and depression. You, you see no way out. And the lies and the manipulation fill your mind that no one cares and no, no one loves you and all the rest of it. And, and the only way out is the cheap way out. Now, I speak from uh, personal experience. In that they're once severely another time close but I almost did it years ago um, a bunch of things had happened and I had fallen into such a, a severe severe depression 
and uh, I couldn't see right, I couldn't think right, and I remember that night. I was sitting on the edge of my bed, and I had a knife. That was going to end it. And I sat there, just weighing everything, and then the Lord spoke. And he started bringing up logic, reasoning, scripture in my mind. And the only reason I'm alive right now is because of the sheer grace of God. Sheer grace of God. And I know, I know what goes through the mind. I know how one gets to that state. So I understand how the mind works in that way and what happens. I remember the darkness of the mind. The darkness of the lies and the manipulation and the depression and all the rest. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be that close. All I had to do is take one more step. All I had to do is just do one little thing and I was done. That's all. I was there. I was on the cusp. I was right there. But in that, you have to reject everything. You have to reject your family, reject your friends, you have to reject counsel, you have to reject the promises of God, you have to lie to yourself, and then you commit self-murder. And we see that's what Judas did. And Judas had no conviction. He had rejected everything and he had hardened himself against the Lord. But overall, for a Christian though, for a Christian, though, you know, some people say, well, you shouldn't be saying this because you're just going to be telling people that it's okay to go do it. <laughs> I've literally had people argue with me literally saying that. That's so stupid. That's so stupid. They'd rather, they'd rather keep the lie that it'll send you to hell just to, to keep people from doing that. No, there's another way around this, and that is by preaching the truth. That it is evil. It's wicked. It's a sin. And not to mention that if you do commit suicide, the very next thing, the very next scene, if you truly are born again, is you're going to be standing before God and God's going to be look at you square in the eye and say, why did you do that? You had all my word, all my promises. My spirit was, up, was there. I could have helped you. Why weren't you listening to me? And you're going to have to answer yourself before God. And why you didn't listen to him. But will suicide send a Christian to hell? No. You can't lose your salvation. So where did the whole idea that suicide will send you to hell thing come from? Actually, <laughs> believe it or not, the Roman Catholic Church again. The Roman Catholic Church again. Believe it or not. Uh, I, I did the research. I did the research. And I looked this up and traced it back. And it actually goes back to the Dark Ages. It's an old lie. Going all the way back to the Dark Ages. Right? And what this was, was a doctrine that the Roman Catholic cult uh, created. Because, well, if you do research on the state of the quality of life at the time in the European countries and all this... 
um, in, in the cities and towns, the, the quality of life was so poor under the Roman Catholic control. The quality of life was so bad and that that your your uh, life, like how long you would live, was was not very long. And, there, and disease and starvation and famine and, uh, and the pestilence and the torment and the torture and just everything was so bad that people were, were committing what's called conversion suicide. And what they would do is they would convert to Roman Catholicism and then off themselves so they could just go to heaven just to get out of this world because it's so bad. Because everything was so bad. They're committing conversion suicide. So the so the Catholic cult um, decided they needed to do something to stop this because this is starting to become an actual big problem because a lot of people were doing this. So they, so they created the doctrine of suicidal damnation. That it that that doesn't matter if you're saved. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic. Doesn't matter any of that. That that if you kill yourself, you instantly go to hell. And not to mention, you will not even be buried. Your body will not even be buried in a regular uh, cemetery with everyone else. You'll be buried off in a field as forgotten because you're an accursed. So that's what they did, and they hammered this one so hard that it's it's become an actual belief of everyone under any form of quasi-christianity any form of so-called christian denomination there is this belief that that suicide will send you directly to hell that was created by the catholic church in the dark ages it's nowhere in the bible nowhere in the entirety of the scriptures do we see suicide sending believers to hell? For one, you cannot lose your salvation. Salvation cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be recanted. God is not going to cast you back into hell. He's not going to take a troubled sheep and throw that sheep to the wolves. Okay, seriously, think about that one just for a moment. The good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they will never perish. No man can pluck you out of my hand. You are. Do you really believe that the shepherd will bend down and pick up a trouble sheep and curse that sheep and throw that sheep to the wolves? That's literally the logic of people who deny once saved, always saved. If you're a trouble sheep, He'll, the shepherd will pick you up by the scruff of the neck, curse that sheep, and throw that sheep to the wolves. That is so, so unbiblical, it, it almost leaves you speechless. It's ridiculous. So, anyway, let's continue. So, Again, to cover this, as we see, suicide is sin. It's a wicked sin. It's a terrible sin. It's self-murder. It's rejection of the scriptures, rejection of the counsel of God, rejection of prayer, rejection of the counsel of the saints. It, it is a severe, severe, terrible, wicked, evil sin. 
and there's there's no reason for it. Say, well, you have no idea what I've been through. You're right. But God does. And he says there is nothing. There's literally, virtually nothing that could possibly happen to you in this life that God can't help you overcome. Nothing. It doesn't matter who it is, what it is, what's going on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how horrible, heinous, terrible, wicked, evil, vile thing that has occurred to you that's driven you into such an absolutely broken state. There's nothing that God can't pull you out of. There's no, there's no crevice so deep that the shepherd can't pull his sheep out of. There's no maw of the wolf and the lion of hell that the shepherd can't pull you out of. There's no situation that could possibly arise that God can't rescue you from. He can rebuild the broken life. He can restore the broken mind. He can heal the broken heart. He can heal the broken body. He can, he can fix your life. He can bring you back to life again. He can do it if you would just let him. It doesn't matter if all your family, all your friends, all everyone rejects you and now hates you. The Lord can bring you new family. He can even turn the hearts and the minds of kings and emperors. He can turn the hearts and minds of your friends and family. He can save the soul. He can heal the sick. He can heal the brokenhearted. There's no reason for the cheap way out. Now I'm going to step into something here that a lot of people will find controversial. But I don't care because I know what the Bible says. I'm going to ask you a question. I would like you to think about this one carefully. Look at this. Judas says, I have sinned. He acknowledges and sees that it's sin, but he doesn't bring it before God. So I've got a question for you. Is it possible if Judas had have actually gone and fallen before God and says, I had sinned and seeks the face of God and says, Lord, Forgive me, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against your son. I've sinned. Please forgive me. Save me. Could Judas Iscariot have been saved? Think about that one. Could Judas Iscariot have gotten saved if he had have done that? Is there a sin that is greater than the blood of Jesus Christ? No, there's no sin greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what you've done. He can save you. Even if you've betrayed him, even if you've denied him, even if you fought against him, even if you served the devil, sold your soul to the devil, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, it doesn't matter how deep the pit is, it doesn't matter how, how fanged the maw of hell is, he can pull you out and save you. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
you can be saved. You can be born again saved. So here we see then, what, what was the fault of Judas? Is that God didn't want to save him? No, it's that Judas didn't want to be saved. God does not assign certain people to hell saying that you can't be saved. I've created you to be hellfire fodder. God does not do that. And anyone that says that doesn't understand the gospel and does not understand the word of God. God is not willing that any should perish. Now, again, I think at 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. God calls all men everywhere to repent. He calls them. He draws them to, to be saved because he wants all to be saved. He so loved the world. That includes Judas. That includes Judas. Did God want Judas to go to hell? No. Judas's sin needed to be dealt with. Sin must be judged. But the man Judas, did Jesus Christ come so that Judas himself, the man, could be saved? Yes. He preached to Judas. He witnessed to Judas. He told Judas again and again and again and again. Judas knew. He heard. He saw. He witnessed. He rejected it. God does not send people to hell. We send ourselves by rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We send ourselves by rejection because we are already on our way to hell. We're already on our way to hell. And God made a way of escape. We're already, we have already damned ourselves. We are already condemned. We are already judged and found guilty. We're already uh, uh, smelling of the sulfur of hell. And God is standing at the door saying, look, just take this and, and you can be saved. Take this and you do not have to go, have to, go to, to judgment. And Judas rejected it. Judas damned himself. He would not repent himself before God. It's look at it. He repented himself before the priest. He repented himself before himself. He regretted himself. He did not repent himself. He knew what he needed to do, and he wouldn't. This is what's called in the Bible the repentance of Esau. Now let's look at this one. Let's look at this one. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16 and 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17. All right, so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. See that? He found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. So all because someone appears repentant, all because someone looks repentant all because someone acts repentant 
doesn't mean they are. Even if the tears are flowing and they're saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the question is, to whom are you sorry? Are you sorry before God? unto God? Are you telling the Lord that you're sorry? Are you repenting before the Lord? Or are you repenting before men? Are you just regretting yourself with tears? Or are you repentant before God? How can we tell the difference? How can we tell the difference? This is where the Bible says, Wisdom is justified of her children. Well, what does that mean? Wisdom is justified of her children. Wisdom, understanding, discernment, being able to, to see what's actually going on by her children means, means time will tell. That's literally an old, ancient, archaic way of saying time will tell. Wisdom is justified of her, of her children. So how, how do you know? By what they do afterwards. How, how they handle themselves, talk and behave and all these things, time will tell. Because you, you can't see the heart, you can't see the spirit, the soul, you can't see inside. All you can see is the outward. And so it just time will tell. You just watch, you bear witness and you watch and you see by their behavior, they're, they're talking and all this stuff. You, you, you'll see, you'll see. So all because someone is pouring tears and saying sorry doesn't mean they're repentant. Time will tell. They could swear that they are. Well, Esau did that. He swore he, he was. He sought it with tears, but he found no place of repentance. Same with Judas. The repentance of Judas, the repentance of Esau, versus the repentance of Peter. Okay? Let's go back to Matthew 27. Yeah, exactly. Anyone could wear a mask and say anything. Okay. Matthew 27. So we see Judas, verse 5, he sought no actual repentance. He just regretted himself, sought no repentance. He sought nothing of the face of God. He took it upon himself and he acted out his own act of penance. Now let me say that again. Judas Iscariot acted out his own penance. For his actions he he judged himself and what he had done and he took and he played judge jury and executioner for his own actions what he'd done and he went and hanged himself when he could have just simply just fallen before the lord and said i'm sorry but pride 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 is an evil wicked thing the very first sin, the very first sin was pride. Pride is something that is so vicious, insidious. Pride sees no remorse. Pride sees no repentance. Pride is, some, is something that, that is a curse upon ourselves, it calcifies the joints. What do I mean by that? Pride calcifies the knees and you 
will not bow the knee before God. Pride causes you to not seek repentance. Pride will come into you and you will not bow before the Lord. Pride will de deceive yourself and delude your mind to see that you're not in fault. It's not your fault and that you don't need to or to take everything upon yourself so that you act as God. You act as judge, jury, executioner. Pride will never apologize. Pride is arrogant, obstinate, self-righteous. Pride is an evil, wicked sin. And Judas Iscariot was completely corrupted by pride. And he paid the price. He paid the price. So Judas killed himself. Verse 6. And the chief priests then took the silver pieces that Judas had thrown down on the floor. And they gathered up the silver pieces. The chief priests took the silver and said, It's not lawful to put them in the treasury because it is the price of blood. This is, this is treason money. This is blood money. This is corrupted money. We can't put it with the money in the treasury. <laughs> like for them, it would have made any difference, but whatever. So they had to do something with this money because they couldn't put it with the rest in the treasury. So they had to do something with it. So they took counsel, verse 7, they took counsel and bought with them a potter's field to bury strangers in. So we see yet another kind of a cultural specific regarding the jews is that the jews had their own cemeteries and if you were a gentile or if you were not a citizen of that area you could not be buried with the regular people in their cemetery if you happened to die while you were there so they actually went and purchased a separate field with that 30 pieces of silver, I purchased a separate field uh, that they could then bury Gentiles, uh, uh, non-Jews, and strangers. Uh, they could bury them in that field if they happened to die while they were there. All right. Now, they also had a name for that field, and there's actually a story that goes along with it. The chief priest took the silver piece and said it's not lawful for for to put them in the treasure because it is the price of blood and they took counsel and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in wherefore that field was called the field of blood or akeldama i see in one of the other gospels they actually call it akeldama or seldama the field of blood unto this day now for this we go over to acts chapter 1 verse 18 the story of judas is not over it gets a little grim and well it's it's scripture so we can't ignore it okay now as you heard what happened judas iscariot refused to repent refused to bow the knee before the lord took it upon his own own self in his own hands he went and killed himself he hanged himself okay now <laughs> we're not told exactly how this happened but 
either is over time or happenstance, but we see something here. In Acts chapter 1, verse 18, we see Judas went out and he hanged himself. Verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. Just as we read, they took the 30 piece of silver, bought the field. This man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. So, um, he hanged himself and either the branch broke or he rotted off the rope or I don't know, but somehow he wound up falling from being hanged. He plummeted down upon the rocks and the rocks ripped him apart and his all his bowels gushed out that's why they call it the field of blood and such is the demise of judas iscariot so there you go now you know now you know this is why it's called the field of blood. So because of this, the, the chief priest is like, well, this field can't be used for anything. Uh, I guess we'll just buy it and use it to bury strangers in because, well, this field is unusable now. So they use the blood money of Judas, <laughs> literal blood money of Judas to purchase the field that was now corrupted by the blood of Judas. There you go. That's what happened to Judas Iscariot. Uh, to back up here in the comments uh, regarding this, um, there's two questions here because we're talking about Judas and repentance and all this. Um, Natalie says, how do you feel about the way the movie The Passion of the Christ depicts Judas's repentance? Yeah, okay. I, I've seen the movie a number of times. I have a few things to say about that. Um, number one. the uh, so Some of the depictions of Satan in it is just uh, dumb. For one, the, the person playing Lucifer in the movie is a woman. Uh, Lucifer is not a woman. I'm just saying. Just saying. Also, um, what happens to Judas in the movie, um, <laughs> well, that is completely based on Roman Catholic nun visions. Believe it or not, the uh, mystic nuns of the Roman Catholic Church had these visions. Uh, this is what happened to Judas. So they actually... Wrote, they wrote down these things and uh what's his name who made the film the passion of the christ took these written records of these mystic nuns and included it in the film as this is what happened to judas so uh, that's what i have to say about that now as for the film itself um i do have to say though that it's one of the 
best portrayals of the torture of Jesus out of all of the different Jesus films. Uh, they they do partly they get the closest. They they it's one of the best depictions, but still it's not even close. There's still an awful lot missing. For one we see in the Bible, it talks about, it says, all of my joints were put out of place. They dislocated the joints of Jesus. My, uh, my, my bones, they stared upon me. You know what that means? You literally could see the ribcage of Jesus from the whippings. That, the, that these whips that they use, which we'll be talking about, that literally tore the flesh off of Jesus and you could literally see the visible bones. His visage was so marred beyond any man you couldn't recognize him. To look at him, he didn't even look recognizable because they also tore his beard out of his face. I've yet to see that portrayal in any Jesus film. They always, always, always leave the facial hair on him, on the actor. I don't know why. I don't know why. They, they never, ever deal with that one. They tore his beard out of his face. Now, Jesus, you understand, Jesus, born in Bethlehem of Israel, was a Jew. And he followed many of the cultural things, especially... The facial hair of the Jewish men. A Jewish beard by the culture of Israel is a handbreadth. Now, from the base of the chin, you would grab your beard, and your beard would have to be the width of the hand or more. And that is actually a cultural Jewish beard. So Jesus had a beard, a long beard. And what the Roman soldiers did is they grabbed chunks of his beard and tore out of his face. He didn't have the Hollywood scruff. It wasn't some little teeny goatee thing. It was, it was a full man's beard. A Jewish beard. At least a handbreadth. I've yet to see that portrayed in any jesus film anyways so yeah um so what what's my thoughts regarding the passion there's my thoughts regarding the passion and regarding jesus repentance well the passion of the christ doesn't is the way they portray judas is just really stupid i'm sorry but yeah <clears throat> anyways and the next question by natalie is when you can can you explain how you see false humility or examples of it well, as we're talking about the difference between Peter and Judas and the difference in Judas and Esau's repentance versus Peter's repentance, okay, false humility you will see in their reaction to biblical counsel, their reaction to righteousness in following this. Um, it, it does... It, it doesn't need to be said much, but you know what I mean when you say everyone can tell the faker. Everyone can tell the one that's just touting themselves. It's all about themselves. You, you, you know the frauds. 
you, you can tell in their reaction to the things of the Lord, especially in righteousness and unrighteousness regarding uh, biblical obedience and the disciples of Christ. Is you, you can tell the frauds by their reaction to the biblical doctrines and, and uh, laws of God. They don't take it serious. They're always making excuses. They're always postponing. Uh, they're, they're always delaying. They're, uh, like I said, they're always making excuses. And, and you tell the language as well. Much of the language is first person. It's about themselves. Well, I, me, my, I. It, much of the language of these kinds of individuals, the frauds, the fakers, the, the, uh, those that are not humble, it, the language is very first person. So you look for these kinds of things, but again, you have to be careful about jumping to assumption. Uh, again, wisdom is justified for children. Time will tell. But uh, you just listen to the way they talk. Listen to the way, way uh, that they react to the things of the Lord, react to scripture, react to prayer and biblical counsel. Uh, and time will tell. You, you'll see. So that's what I have to say about that. All right. Let's move on. And... Um, Psalm uh, 136 says, uh, we can uh, talk to the Lord over our lack of true repentance over every sin we have. Uh, can we talk to the Lord over our lack of true repentance over every sin we have? I hate my sin and I'm sad over all that I grieve the Lord, but I feel not as repentant over certain sins. All right. Growth, growth in the faith is something that is difficult for many because it's one of those things that takes time. Um, and this is where the patience and the long suffering of the Lord comes in. And the Lord will teach us, he'll convict us, he'll show us, he'll draw us in all things. What I personally have found, and I must clarify this as I myself personally have found this so this is part some of my opinion coupled with um, with scripture so I'm just prefacing that and some of the things that I have found in this as well is the the level of seriousness that we take towards the faith how serious we see it how real because if we see the commandments of God if we see the commandments of God the ways of God as optional we're never gonna follow the Lord seriously but if we see the things of the Lord as they're from the very mouth of God God said it so therefore that's what it is then okay we're going to see our reaction to the breaking of that is going to be that much more of a broken heart. But if we see it as optional and then we commit the sin, we're going to be like, oh, that, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I'm sorry. Is that rep repentance? Or is that regret? So you see, if we're not taking the faith seriously, 
our, quotation marks, repentance, will be the repentance of Esau and Judas. Not real, not sincere, not honest. Even though you sought it carefully with tears, there's no true repentance because you're not taking it seriously. But if, like Peter, you commit the sin, you do the wrong, and the Lord brings it up in your remembrance of what he said about this, and it breaks you. And you're like, Lord, I'm so sorry. You're so right. Please forgive me. And it's honest before God. Then we're going to see true repentance. So it comes down to how you view the word of God. Is it just the Bible? Or is it the very words of the very living God? And these are God's words. God said it. It's the law of God. It's the words of God, the truth of God, from the mind, the heart of God. And this is what he says, and it's absolute. And this is who we are before him. And when we break his word, we truly see who and what we are and what the, what the Lord has said about this and what he's done for us and all these things and the weight of it weighs upon you and you weep bitterly before the Lord in repentance. Because, for example, I just want to say, now I know I can, I can probably safely say everyone has had trouble with vulgarities, with cussing, all of these kinds of things. Everyone has trouble sometimes, and sometimes things can slip. Or in a moment of heated anger, we say some things we ought not. If we take a look, for example, I'm just, for example, because you brought this up, and we're talking about repentance, and we're talking about Peter and Judas and all this. And vulgarities, for example, is I have this little study that all it is is just a few verses ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks ephesians 4 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 but now ye also put off all these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy communication out of your mouth 2 Timothy 2:16 but shun profane and vain babblings for they will increase unto more ungodliness James 3:10 out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren, these things ought not so to be. So, okay, the Lord made it abundantly clear. He hates filthy speaking. He hates vulgarities. He hates blasphemy. He hates cursing. He hates all of this kind of thing. So, some people say, well, it's just words. It's just words. Then why did God say that? If it's just words, then why did God say that? You see, our opinion, our feeling, our views, our ideology versus what God says. 
So even when it comes down to this or it comes down to shows, movies, whatever, well, it's just a movie. It's just a game. It's just a show. It's just words. It's just music. It's just this, just that. Well, if it's just this or that, then why does God talk about these things in such detail, condemning these kinds of things to such a degree? Maybe God knows something we don't. So it comes down to how seriously we take the faith. How seriously we take the faith. If God calls it sin, and the Bible says all unrighteousness is sin, and God says all sin will be cast into hell, that all sin is abomination unto God, all sin is a curse before God, that God hates sin, his wrath is upon sin, his judgment's upon sin, and you look at the degree that he went to save us from our sin, why are we dancing around in the puddles and the mud and sin every once in a while? Shouldn't that break us? Shouldn't that cause us to cry out to the Lord, Lord, forgive me every time we do that and mean it from the heart and hate ourselves when we do that and we go to every degree we can to never do that again? Because, not because it's just wrong, but because it's a slight and slander and offense against our Father and we don't want to offend Him. Think about that. So you see, it comes down to how we see the word of God, how we view it. What does it mean to us? What does the faith mean to us? If, if out of the same mouth, we can, can proceed both blessings of God and cursings. What does that look like to the world when we're supposed to be the image of Christ's likeness and we're supposed to be servants of God disciples of Jesus Christ sheep of the shepherd uh, the children of our father our Lord our God how, how would we appear to the world if that's the case we're, we're blessing this one and the blessings of God and we're cursing the vulgarities um, to this one a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways our doctrines are rather unstable then our faith is unstable then. Our prayer life is unstable then. Our, our view of scripture is unstable then. As we see, Judas was unstable. Esau was unstable. Peter was at first, but then we see the word of God corrected him. And he repented himself before the Lord. And he never did that again. We see after this that Peter really changes. Before this, Peter was impulsive Peter, again and again, getting himself in trouble again and again. But all of a sudden he realized, he realized this is serious. This is real. This is not a game. This is not opinions and feelings. This is not optional. This is real. And he wept bitterly before God and he corrected himself before the Lord. And ever since this point where he wept bitterly, we never see Peter really messing up like that ever again. There is one point where he got caught up in some hypocrisy and Paul called him out and he corrected himself. He was easily correctable. If that's a word. He's easily changed and altered by the word of God. 
He was never impulsive, Peter, and he took the faith seriously. So it comes down, and to answer your question, it all comes down to how seriously you see Jesus Christ, how seriously you see the gospel, how seriously you see sin. If sin is not exceedingly sinful to you, you're not really going to repent of it. You'll regret it. You won't repent. So, what do we do with this? As it says in the word of God, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should wash whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should wash white like wool. It doesn't matter what you've done, what's going on, and what's happening. Get yourself before the Lord. Fall on your face before God and, and cry out to the Lord. Repent. Do not regret your sins. Repent of your sins before God. And then get up and get rid of these things that, that may be in your life. Whatever they are, get rid of it. Stop hiding it. Stop bartering with it. Stop bargaining with sin. Stop making loopholes and excuses. Just get rid of the things. Get rid of the behaviors. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of the, the items or whatever it is that may be in your life. Truly repent. Stop regretting sin. Start repenting of sin. Stop being like Judas and Esau. You can't trick God with your tears. You can put on a face that can trick people, but you can't trick him. Esau tricked all those around him, but he didn't trick God. Repent. The Lord knows the difference between regret and repentance. Repent, repent thyself. Repent thyself before the Lord and get yourself right before God. Um, uh, a, a blog has a question. Even if we cuss just to ourselves under our breath, so, so to speak. What does the word of God say? Are there excuses? Exceptions? Are there exceptions to sin? It says to put off from yourself filthy speaking, to put it away from yourself, to not utter it, to not be found in you. We are children of the Most High God. We are supposed to be examples of all Christ likeness. So therefore then, do the examples of Jesus Christ go around cussing and swearing, if even under the breath? No. Such a thing ought not so to be. We see that, that our language is important. Our speech is to be salted with grace that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's put it this way. Let's say you're sitting down on your couch. Jesus Christ comes over and knocks on the door and comes on in and sits down on the couch with you. Let's say you get up to get him a drink of water or to get yourself a drink or whatever i don't know let's say you, you get up and you you stub your toe on the coffee table right in front of jesus would you cuss and swear even under your breath in the presence of jesus
Well, what about in your mind? Well, uh, the Holy Spirit of the living God is living inside your heart and he hears your thoughts. Rather, we see that our how we see Jesus Christ, how we view the Lord, how uh, how serious we take the Spirit of God. It will alter our language. It will alter our thinking, and we put off from ourselves all of these things that are of the flesh and of sin and of the world, because it is not appropriate before the living God. Language and behavior that is inappropriate before God should be put off from ourselves because it is not appropriate for the children of God. That is not how our Lord raised us. So we got to be very careful how we talk, how we think, how we behave. Not because, well, well, doing that, it's wrong. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about because, it's rather, it's because the Lord doesn't like it. The Lord says it's wrong, and I don't want to offend him because I love him. Now, I can't, don't, don't do that or he'll punish you. Wrong way of thinking. Wrong way of thinking. I don't do that because I love him and I don't want to offend him. God doesn't like that, so I'm not doing that anymore. God says that's wrong. So therefore, I'm putting that away because I don't want to offend him because I love him. It's like when you, for those of you who are married or are getting married, there, there are ways about yourself that you change. You change certain things about your life for the one you love. Behaviors or quirks or whatever, or certain things you may get rid of and no longer do anymore because well, they don't like it, and you willingly change yourself for them because you love them. There it is. You willingly change yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ because you love him. That's metanoio, repentance, the change of mind. So I hope that answers that one sufficiently. So yeah, as we see in the word of God, all cursing, all vulgarities, all those things are wrong, are sin. And we're to put that off for you, as the, as the word of God says, the Lord says to put that off from you. Have nothing to do with that. We see the difference between Peter's repentance and Paul's, uh, uh, and uh, Peter's repentance and Judas's and Esau's rep repentance. We see the difference between actual repentance and regret and so by this we can apply it to ourselves we see these examples and we see how as we're talking about demonic manipulation all these things and how the enemy will also get into our minds to try to corrupt our repentance corrupt our view of the word of god corrupt how we see the lord how we see the faith that to, to cause us to not see sin as exceedingly sinful. That we water down sin. We water down repentance. We water down the seriousness of the faith. We become apathetic to these things. We start to compromise sin. Even if, for example, as was said, you know, what about even if it's like under your breath? Or what about like a white lie? You're not really hurting anybody. But what does the Bible say about lying? Even if it's a white lie? All lying is sin. God doesn't make exceptions to sin. 
That's important to understand. We make distinctions. We make differences. We create what's called the sin scale. Some sins are, are worse than others. Some are not so bad. Some are not a big deal. You don't need to worry about these ones, but this one, oh, that one's really bad. Well, that one's really bad. Well, that one's, eh, whatever. Uh, we do that. So, okay. On God's way scale, how does God, God Almighty, our Lord Jesus Christ, how does he weigh all the sins? They're all equal. They are all abomination. God makes no exception. All lies will be cast in the lake of fire. Even white lies. All vulgarities in these things are sin will be cast in the lake of fire. God sees it all the same. His wrath is upon all sin. So, um... That's how we should see it. That's how we should see it. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, the, if, we, if our steps slip and we fall, the Lord will pick us back up. He will, he will pour upon us the conviction, the understanding. He'll help us to see what happened and all about this stuff. And he'll, he'll educate us. He'll teach us regarding it. He'll show us by his word, by his love and long-suffering spirit upon us. He'll open our understanding and he'll say, you see how this is wrong? You see what this does? And you see how the, and the, what I said over here? Do you get this? And say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He says, I forgive you. Come on, let's keep going. That's how the Lord works. Sin is exceedingly sinful. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We see by the example of Peter, Peter repented himself. Judas did not. Judas could have gotten saved. If he had of repented and believed, but he didn't. He rejected the counsel. He rejected the word of God. He rejected Jesus Christ. He rejected the truth. He condemned himself to hell. He regretted himself. He did not repent himself. And it all comes down to how you see the Lord. Judas did not see Jesus as Savior. Peter did. And you see the outcome of both. By how they viewed the faith. There you go. So Matthew 27, part one. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Um, so yeah, again, as, as we're talking about this, I want to go over repentance. I have just a, uh, a simple write down, just some more detail regarding this. Uh, to, so you can just really understand the difference here okay so repentance biblical repentance we see in the greek is metanoia which means a change of heart change of mind now repentance if we we can say it this way <clears throat> repentance is acknowledgement that you're a sinner a heart desire that turns from your sin and seeks redemption 
from your sin which is found in the blood of Christ, which saves you from your sin, washes you clean by your faith and belief on Christ as your Redeemer from the condemnation of your sins. So uh, repentance is the heart state acknowledgement, the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. Okay? Hold on to that. That which is a false belief, false repentance, that which is false is the belief that you must keep repenting. For your salvation well if i don't keep repenting if i don't keep myself repentant then maybe i'm not saved no you completely missed it you are turning repentance into works that which is false is the belief that you must keep repenting for your salvation mark 1 15 repent and believe the gospel a repentant heart sees their state of sin and seeks salvation from their sin this is a repentance unto salvation. Seeing the sin, acknowledging the sin, and believing the gospel, turning from sin to salvation in Christ. The enlightenment of the Holy Spirit shows your state and convicts you of sin. In acknowledgement of this, the work of the Holy Ghost, in acknowledgement of what he's doing upon you, in acknowledgement of this, you repent from sin and believe the gospel. Repentance comes from the Holy Ghost. Repentance comes from the Holy Ghost, not you. Wait a minute. Are you saying the Holy Ghost is repenting? No. The reason you're repenting, biblical repentance, the reason you're repenting is because the Spirit of God is enlightening you in regarding your sin. If he was not doing that, you would not repent. Okay? Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. The work of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 6, 4-6. The enlightenment, the taste of the light of the glimpse of the work of the Holy Ghost upon you to bring you to that understanding so then you can then make an uh, make a educated decision. So the repentance, the reason you're repenting, this understanding of repentance is actually coming from the enlightenment, the work of the Holy Ghost, which is upon you. The enlightenment of the Holy Spirit shows your state, convicts you of sin. In acknowledgement of this, you repent from sin and believe the gospel. Repentance comes by the Holy Ghost. It's his work upon you, not a work of you. Okay? It's his work upon you, not a work of you. You believe by faith in the grace of God, no work of your own. So it's not, well, I need to keep repenting. I, I, why am I not repenting? It's not about you. It's about belief on the Lord, that when you turn to the Lord, you call upon the Lord, he will convict you of the error, convict you of the sin, and he'll bring up these things in your life to show you what is wrong, what is sin, and he'll show you this, and you will say, yes, Lord, you're right. That's wrong. That's repentance. There you go. Like, for example, I've talked about this before on uh, previous studies and, and whatever. Like, for example, right where you are, right here, right now, as it says in the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will teach you all things and cause you to be in remembrance of everything what He has told you. He'll reprove you 
uh, of righteousness, uh, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort uh, all things in us. He will teach us the difference between the holy and profane, and he will ca uh, cause us to see sin and understand sin, and he'll help us to understand righteousness. So right where you are, ask the Holy Spirit within you. Dear Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that goes against you or your word? Immediately, things will pop up in your mind. He's just waiting for you to ask. And he'll show you. And he'll help you to become that much closer to him. He'll help you to purge yourself of these things that are holding you back. That are being blights upon your walk of faith. He'll bring up scripture. He'll show you. He'll teach you. If you are willing to listen to him as he works upon us. To bring us to that, that repentant, penitent state of heart and faith before him. To walk in all honesty before the, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he does. He teaches us. He instructs us, he guides us, he convicts us, he draws us. And he will never let us go. Just sometimes we just become those stubborn little children that just aren't listening. Even though the parent is telling the child, the child's not listening. That's us sometimes. Do the sheep always listen to the shepherd? Well, if they always listen to the shepherd, then we wouldn't have the 90 and 9 uh, proverb, wouldn't, would we? About, about the how the, he'll leave the 99 and go get the one. How he's always rescuing the wayward sheep. But rather we see we always need the correction. We always need the guidance. It's when we stop listening is when we truly run into the problems. So with that. Repentance. It's a heart state acknowledgement. It's not a work of our own. Oh, I'm not repenting. I got to keep repenting. I need to keep repenting. No, 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 no. That's Catholic. That's Catholic repentance, where it's a work of you. You got to go to confessional. You have to go before the priest. You have to repent of the thing. You have to examine your life and do all this and that. No, 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 no. Rather, you fall before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. Please help me. Please forgive me. If there is anything in my life, Lord, show me. Would you instruct me? Would you teach me? And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he will instruct us. We just need to trust him. The difference between repentance and regret. There you go. Hope that's been a help and a comfort and encouragement. I hope that uh, you find some help in this and some insight in this. And if you appreciate these studies, Please give this a like, give this a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We have tons and tons of other goodies and studies and whatnot, as well as make sure to check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and uh, goodies and uh, Etsy shop and everything else. Free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks on our website as well. Uh, make sure to avail yourself to that and get busy about uh, getting the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord God and Savior out there. And tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ is salvation by grace through faith, by belief alone. Arm yourself with the word of God. And so get busy, serve the Lord in fear and trembling. For the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear the Lord? 
Not as in you're terrified, scared of him, but the holy reverential worship and respect. Holy reverential worship and respect. He is our Lord, our God, our Father, our Savior, our King, closer than a brother. He holds us in his hand and he'll never let us go. How seriously do you take this? And how seriously you take the faith will show itself by how you live. Think about that in the correct way. The more you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more it'll reflect itself in your day to day. And the Lord will correct you. The Lord will guide you. He'll teach you. He'll bless you. He'll strengthen you. He'll help you. He'll hold you. He'll protect you and all things because he said he would. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'll wrap it up there. So again, folks, thank you so much for joining in. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.